So we've been doing Trek about for, I think it is, is it five, six years at this point? It's not quite five years. It's, well, it, technically speaking, I think it has been five years. We we actually started recording, I think, uh, in July of 2012. We didn't start releasing it until September. But yeah, I mean, for so all could, intents and purposes, it's about five years. Yeah, for, for us, this could very well be our anniversary. Um, and, it could be, yeah. You know, we are most of the way through the mission at this point. I have gone from being somebody who knows absolutely nothing about Star Trek to somebody who has fallen in love with the series, with its ethos, with with the franchise. This is becoming a very important part of my life. And I am, uh, you know, doing getting into the franchise this way is sort of unusual, but I'm very glad I have done that. And that said, you know, the, I say this to reaffirm my commitment to finishing the Trek About experience, but after watching this week of Voyager... I don't want to watch this show anymore. I don't like yeah. this show. This is a mean show, and I hate it. Yeah, I I, I think that I completely understand where you're coming from. And uh, I know this. Yeah, these are, this is stuff that you were seeing, I think, in Tuvix and earlier than that. But now it's becoming really apparent. And these, this, the four or five episodes we've had in this season have been horrible. Yeah, I mean, we're not very far into the third season. And I think what is what is more alarming to me about I I actually I mean, I I don't know what your opinions of of both episodes Mm. are. I mean, obviously, you you don't like them. I, I find the shoot to be um, just completely pedestrian Mm. and not interested in in anything at all. I I just I don't care about it. I was bored throughout the entire episode. I, I think it's fairly it's not terrible. It's just very, very, very just pedestrian and not interesting at all. Yeah. And it, it doesn't add anything. It doesn't have anything to say. It's just a slog. I liked the swarm more, but I think that we have to grapple with the fact that Janeway is a sociopath. And, and like, well, I will talk about this. I mean, let's let's leave the swarm aside for a minute. Yeah. But so I randomly watched the the DS9 episode Explorers last night, which was the episode where uh, Cisco builds the Bajoran solar yeah, yeah, ship. Yeah. And it also has this subplot with Bashir, who uh, is, is worried about this woman coming on the the um, coming onto Deep Space Nine from the Lexington, uh, who was the, I think, valedictorian of, of his gla- uh, his uh, oh, yeah. class in, in medical school. And there I had forgotten about this scene. I, I watched the shoot a few days before that. And. I thought the shoot was was fine. Like I I yeah. I wasn't in love with the episode, but I thought it was just kind of like okay, whatever. And and a lot of what the shoot impinges on is this idea of the the Tom Paris and Harry Kim friendship, right? And I this is something I've said before about Voyager with the relationship between Neelix and Cass, with the relationship between Janeway and Tuvok, but I'm finding this now with the relationship between Kim and Paris, which is that Voyager is much more a show which says that relationships exist more mm. than it's interested in actually showing the development of those relationships. Whereas I, there's that scene in Explorers where Bashir and O'Brien are getting extremely drunk in O'Brien's <laughs> quarters because this was the period when Keiko, I think, was off on Bajor doing yeah, yeah, her botany yeah. stuff with Molly. And, you know, the the, the whole scene is impinging on the, the idea that, that Miles O'Brien loves Bashir but just will not say the word. And... 
that is a friendship that that was built throughout the show. That is a that is a a friendship that was really really earned and organically developed. And that scene is amazing. And the shoot is just completely flat by comparison. Now. I don't want to necessarily compare Voyager and DS9 all the time. I don't think that's fair to Voyager. But we do have to look at the fact mm. that Voyager exists as a television show. We are being presented with episodes like The Shoot. And and what are we supposed to make of them? They are giving us inferior quality work. See, here's the other thing is that I'm not just comparing this to Deep Space Nine. And I do, again, realize that that is unfair, especially because... Both shows are trying to do different things, but I don't think it's unfair to compare Voyager to The Next Generation. And I guess where the shoot loses me is that it doesn't seem to have any of the philosophical or moral underpinnings of the Federation inside it. I mean, a lot of times I think about what the Next Generation version of this is, and again... Picard has the entire resources of the Federation as is at his disposal. And yes, he could have gone and, you know, Picard dealing with the situation would have saved all the other prisoners, right? Would have done something to help these people. And yet, you know, and I know that Janeway doesn't have their res- those resources. They can barely just blitzkriegs, you know, save their two people and get out of there. Sure, but... I mean, the fact that Harry Kim spends the entire episode cynically and not listening to the guy who's saying we need to cooperate here bothers me a lot. Because what does the Federation yeah. say? We need to get rid of our – I mean, this this is – this ship is a microcosm of the galaxy, right? With everybody competing for very limited resources and at each other's throats and you have one person who is – the one who's saying, you know, we should transcend this aggression. We should be the ones to be able to uh, cooperate and work together. And if we work together, we are going to be able to solve our problems. And again, Harry Kim, who's the Federation person, is the guy who's thinking that that's bullshit. And that bothers me. Huh. I don't I don't know if I had that reading of the episode. May I okay. talk about that more? Because... Yeah. Okay. Because I found the narr- the episode's treatment of, you know... The, the 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 crazy Zen dude to be a little problematic, and I think at the point certainly when he's saying, "Oh, you need to kill Paris," he's breaking bringing you down. That seems like suddenly the episode was taken over by somebody who doesn't have the same views of the Federation as I do. I think. Y- yeah, well, I think there's a couple things going on there, right? Number one, of course, is this idea that they have this thing in their head that is making yeah. them crazy, and and I, I don't I don't think that that can be ignored. I mean, that is no. a you know, I don't know. Kenneth Biller wrote this episode. This was apparently a problematic episode for a long time. It had been floating around since the beginning of the show, and they just could never figure out what to do with it. Uh, it's maybe a little alarming that they decided to make this like one of the opening episodes of the third season but hey whatever sometimes you just got to do what you can do to get through the day i understand that uh but i think that for me like kenneth biller never worked on a star trek show before voyager and i think that i don't know if he's being like properly given the knowledge he needs to write a star trek show i Mm. mean like there is something to be said for the fact that this is a show with people in desperate circumstances that do not have the resources of the Federation behind them. I can buy the idea that Harry Kim would 
uh, like you said, kind of work against the idea of, I don't know, because I think that there's a a case to be made for that kind of thing, right? Like that he has this thing in his head. He is protecting Tom Paris. He is, um, you know, circling the wagons in a sense. And I think you certainly could do a Star Trek show that was very aware of the fact that these people were put into very desperate circumstances and did not, uh, you know, did not really know what to do to maintain their federationness or their starfleetness right and i think that because you know ds9 gets portrayed as the dark star trek yeah, yeah, yeah. Which shits all over the ideals of the federation and i'm finding voyager to be much more of that show yeah. and i don't even think it's aware of that i mean what what i'm thinking of is that one of the recurring motifs and they use tuvok for this is of having this mental discipline in order to transcend the violence. I mean, Harry Kim dealing with this chip in his head is is basically dealing with Tuvok, what Tuvok or Suter goes through every day, isn't isn't it? And I mean, ev- I, I I think it's significant that we have the character of Suter who is somebody who is struggling to overcome his violence and he is able to use uh, discipline and meditation and figuring out his purpose beyond that in order to transcend that violence. And then Jerry Taylor comes off, looks at Suter, says, I don't know what to do with this, kills them off, and now we have an episode again in which the characters don't even bother to try and figure out how to transcend the anger that this chip is making them do. I mean, I think it would not have been very inappropriate for Harry Kim to maybe remember a vague lesson that Tuvok had given him once on, oh, here's a basic calming technique. Like, that might have been a, again, I wanted to see Harry Kim get his shit together. I can see how he would be influenced by this chip, but I don't know, it's, it's, yeah. the episode doesn't seem to realize that Harry Kim kind of dropped the ball on that one, and I wanted I like when these characters get to have moments of heroism and I wanted to see Harry Kim get that moment of discipline over himself. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Cause I mean, well, let's take a different tack on this because yeah. if you look at the prison environment that Harry Kim is in, it is obviously horrible and it is yeah. obviously designed to be horrible, but the Aquatarians in, in this episode are, are, are just random Delta quadrant assholes. We, we don't know yeah. anything about them really. Uh, there is some lip service given to the idea that there are terrorists slash freedom fighters, depending on your point of view or who you're talking to, called Open Sky. There is some sort of vague, you know, intonation about the the Aquatarians being some sort of fascist or something. We've I don't know what they're supposed to be, but we've seen this before. Voyager but it's likes very... the generic fascism planet as the bad guys, but is not interested in questioning what that means. And that, and that's what I'm getting at yeah. is like there is a there is a lack of engagement in the show's own ideas at this point that I find very troubling because if you just want to tell an action adventure story about two people breaking out of prison then do that. I don't think you need to have all of these weird moral compunctions about it. Uh these people are innocent, Harry Kim and mm-hmm. I mean maybe all the people in the prison are innocent. That that probably. question is never even they probably are, but it's like never engaged with there's no real i don't know what these people are in prison for i don't know what the aquatarian society is like even broadly um 
I don't know like why like why is this prison here? What is it doing? What is its purpose? Why don't they just murder these people? Is are they running some sort of experiment? Like there it's just like there's a grab bag of stuff here, nothing ever really hangs together very well. You know, and again, let's you know, not to compare to DS9, but this seems similar to Cardassian Justice, which we are explicitly told is very you know, they're, they're show trials. You don't have a trial unless the state knows that the person is guilty. The person is always found guilty. And we are also told that the reason for this is because this is a demonstration of the strong power of the Cardassian state. The Cardassian state is so strong and so wise and knowledgeable that its justice system is perfect. And that is a wonderful idea which characterizes the Cardassian slightly fascist state very well. Um, DS9 has grappled, especially with the Dominion, with fascism and how that actually works and what that actually means. And again, given what we are dealing with in world events these days... Voyager's take on, well, the fascism and they're evil and they just put people in prison because that's what they do because they're evil is very childish. It's a very childishly simple take on the theme that feels like a letdown. Again, the, the Aquatarians yeah. are evil because fuck you, not because, you know, they, 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 there is no reason for their extreme social control, it seems. This, again, as you say, why don't they just kill them? I mean, I think a, if you want to have them demonstrating their power of the state and make uh, offenses so great as to deter criminals, I think at one point the general men- or whoever they talk to mentions, you know, it's a deterrent against fine. Well, putting them in a prison in the middle of nowhere that nobody gets to see compared to large, painful public execution, I mean, which is going to have more of an impact on the populace for control? Right. And yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you have to take the guy at face value that that is the reason. And maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, the entire thing about the prison being in space seems to be more of a way to set up Tuvok and and, uh, uh, Janeway sliding down the chute with phasers to rescue them. And it's a great scene. It's well done. It's very exciting. You know, Neelix gets to be in the episode saving the day and it's all very well done. But but what is what have we really gotten out of this? I mean, if you're looking at this and saying, I just want a good night of television. I just yeah. want to watch an entertaining episode of something, and I don't really care what happens, but is this that, is this it? I mean, is this actually entertaining even? On that basic fundamental level, I don't think it is. Yeah. It, uh, is it that it's too ponderous to be an action story to act, and too shallow to be a good philosophical story? Yeah, it's trying to – in a way, maybe it's trying to serve two masters and not really doing – either too well i i think that you know to to go back to to voyager on on a whole level for a minute what concerns me about what i've been seeing with voyager as it's been developing is that voyager has had some really good episodes voyager has had some episodes that i consider to be maybe not classic star trek but but certainly moving in that direction but they always feel like the show is getting there in spite of itself Mm. yeah and I don't know what that portends for the future. Well, I do because I've seen the show <laughs> before, but it 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 it's not good at that stuff. And it's going to take a while for the show to figure out what it's good at. I will be very clear with you. I think the third season of the show is probably the worst of the okay. season, of, of all the seasons of Voyager. 
Um, I was surprised how much I liked the second season, actually. Like, yeah. it had its problems, but it was trying to do something, even if it wasn't entirely successful. And I think that there were a lot of good yeah. character moments in it. Yeah, and uh, I would say that I think a lot of the... I, I wonder if a lot of the good character moments are in performance. Again, I think Tuvok is a lot of Tim Russ bringing, up, bringing a certain uh, emotionality to the performance that's very subtle and very well done, rather than, you know... I, I, again, I think that's all actor. I don't think the writers recognize. I think the writers still think, well, Vulcans have no emotions sometimes. But no, I mean, Tuvok is one of the more interesting characters yeah. in the show, as we will see when we talk about the swarm, even though he's not really in it very mm-hmm. much and doesn't really say anything. But t- Tim Russ is doing a lot with his performance in that episode that that makes him really dynamic. But we'll get to that when we get to it. I think that the other part of this episode that that really I have a problem with is the idea that Janeway essentially kidnaps Mm. two random people that she doesn't know and trades their lives for Harry Kim and Tom Paris or at least attempts to. Is that something that... Yeah. Like... I I mean, that that implies that she believes that the charges against uh, this guy and this... I mean, she she's supposed to be a teenager, right? Like, they, 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 she's very young, idealistic, and possibly a little naive, but very passionate. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it implies that Janeway thinks the charges against them are just and that they do deserve consequences for their actions. But, and yes, they, See, they did. That's interesting to me because I don't actually think that Janeway thought about that at all i mean put it this way i don't think that she has any there is no alarm going off that's saying that oh this is this is an unjust thing uh i i i it seems like an unquestioned oh they did the bombing so they deserve the punishment whatever that is and you know she obviously does not know what the conditions in the prison are she hasn't been there yet uh but we know what it is we know what this girl is going to be dealing with if she is handed over to the authorities and it is going to break her. Uh, and I again, this is where I say I can picture Picard saving all of the prisoners when she, you know when Janeway is saying you know oh I you know the, when, when the two are saying oh if, if you're rescuing your people would you rescue our people too? And Janeway saying that's not the deal. You know uh, you 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 don't have the power to negotiate that. I mean I thought that was her playing hardball. I thought that was her figuring, you know, all right, I really just need this information and whatever, and I don't want, you know, I don't condone what they did, but at the same time, I don't condone these people being in prison, so we'll save them anyway without letting them know. That's honestly where I thought they were going to go with that. Well, and yes, I mean, I agree with you, and I think that that would have been the the more Star Trek yeah. way to do it. And I don't, I don't want to cast Star Trek in amber. I don't want to say that Star Trek Voyager can't do things that are outside of what we would think of as quote unquote Star Trek. Certainly, Deep Space Nine did that a lot. But but there was always a larger reason for it. Again, in if if what Cisco does in in the pale moonlight is crossing a lot of moral lines that he may have in the past said he would never cross. Um, he has very good reasons for it. And if the episode wants us to, and and especially the, you know, following out where that alliance forged in that episode goes, um, if we are to question whether the ends justify the means, again, that, that, that is making us think some very deep thoughts about that. It's, it's a very sharp 
exploration of that, saying that at certain times, times might be too desperate to keep certain morals going. Again, what is the other episode in Times of War, the law is silent. Um, but Voyager is yeah. not that thought. This is not I, – I, I don't know. It just, again, it just feels like a much <laughs> – it, it, this feels like a very I mean, shallow and kind of nasty show. It, it is shallow, absolutely. I think that there is a nastiness to it, absolutely. I, I don't know where that's coming from. And I think it is it is amazing to me how much nastier this show is in the third season, even though we're already yeah. – we're only four episodes in. I it. mean I've been joking that, okay, we've got a t- Torture Harry Kim episode just as we had Torture O'Brien episodes. But let's go back to a very similar O'Brien episode, the one where he has the – uh, they give him the the memories of being in prison for 20 years or whatever, um, and he's dealing with the fallout of that. Um, that is a very – you know, they use O'Brien because he's the everyman because something bad happened to happening to O'Brien is very much, you know, an undeserved consequence in a lot of ways is, is, a, yeah. is a lot scarier to have – you know, to have Keiko O'Brien possessed by a paw wraith is – you know, as innocent bystander as you can get in a lot of ways, and they do get some mileage out of that. Um, it seems like they're torturing Harry Kim because just he's their chew toy in this series, and you know we're we're just gonna put him there, and we're not going to. We learn a lot about who O'Brien is from his experiences and his the fact that he has such trauma from killing this guy in his cell, uh, the fact that he, uh, you know, Bashir's point at the end, well, you waited so long, and that means a lot to do that, and you're not killing me, you know, that means a lot, and all of that. You were placed into a desperate, and you held off, and that shows a strength of character. These are all things we are learning about O'Brien, and we also know that at the end of the day, O'Brien has a wife and a family. O'Brien has Bashir and some friends. O'Brien has a captain who really cares about his welfare. But, you know, all of these things... Uh, Carrie Kim does not seem to have as much of a support net. Harry Kim has his best friend, Tom Paris, who is his best friend because they've eaten lunch a couple times together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm being a little snarky about their friendship, but it is the case that it is not very well defined. And, you know, the, a lot of, a lot of this episode hinges on the idea that we should care about Harry Kim protecting Tom Paris because they're best friends. Yeah. I mean, they, 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 they're the two guys who were sitting next to each other in high school, uh, you know. They 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 just kind of hang around each other because, frankly, who else hangs out with them? I mean, I buy the Bolana and Harry Kim relationship, and I do want to talk about Bolana and Tom Paris' scene at the beginning of the next episode. Don't let me forget that. But you know, I buy that they have a kind of they've developed into a kind of you know, little brother, big sister kind of a thing together. They have that dynamic. They've always had that dynamic, and it works. Paris and Kim don't seem to have that either. Uh, Paris and Bolana don't seem to have any connection either. And I I would say that of of all the relationships in the show, the the two that feel – the the most real and the most well-developed and the most earned to me are Cass Mm -hmm. and the Doctor – and Bellana and, and Harry. And they don't have a lot of screen time together. And the next episode is going to scuttle one of them. 
I, I don't know where that's going to go, and I guess we'll you know we'll talk. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk. Well, yeah, Let, let's move on to the swarm. But I, I just want to say one other thing about this episode before we move on, which is that this is sort of meta commentary on Star Trek Voyager. But but I think that what I'm finding in this episode is that there's this idea that we've talked about before about the Delta Quadrant being kind yeah. of horrible, and if that had been made explicit, because there is no real reason why diplomacy is hmm. failing so much. Uh, the only reason why it's failing so much is because they want it to fail, because that's how they write yeah. the show. And and But that's like a, a key part of Star Trek. And so to me, there's a very... I mean, Star Trek has never been great at world building in general, but I think that they they need to do something with that to make this a a understood phenomenon. Like... This is a very violent part of the galaxy for whatever reason. There's not a lot of large empires that are maintaining the peace and trade relations or whatever. You know, the lack of the Federation is a problem. I don't know. But, you know, I'm not writing the show. But It's not my job to, to, to come up with those ideas. But I think that there's something needed there that is not there. And Janeway just kind of completely uninterested in the Aquatarians, completely uninterested in what the, the terrorist slash freedom fighters are saying. She has a goal. She's single-mindedly getting there and she doesn't care what she does to get there or who she hurts. She will just capture some random people and turn them over to some people that she has shown no interest in figuring out why they're so horrible. And we're just supposed to go, Oh yeah. Okay. That's fine. She's, yeah, you know, just like Star Trek has always been. (laughs) Um, I mean, in the Delta quadrant, the aliens were very weird and they were kind of dicks in a lot of ways. And then when we learn about the governmental, the gamma, the gamma quadrant, quadrant sorry. Um, and then when we learn about the dominion and, you know, their total control of that, suddenly all of the, all of the dickishness of the gamma quadrant aliens makes a little more sense. And we understand why diplomacy has failed in certain ways, but at the same time, they also make it clear that there are some species in the, Gamma Quadrant that can be worked with. I mean, even the the the, yeah. the ones in uh, Fly Away Home or Hop Along Cassidy or whatever, the one where they're playing the game. <laughs> um, at, I mean, they're dicks, but they have a kind of diplomacy with them. The Frankie Alliance makes uh, makes a, an alliance with the red faced people based on trade, even if it's under the Dominion's table. Um, there are still moments, and there are other pieces. I'm thinking of. Um, not the phage, um, the quickening, uh, which is, you know, we, we will meet people in the Gamma Quadrant who have ideas about the Dominion and have different, I mean, there's different things in there. In the yeah the Delta Quadrant, I mean, they were trying to do a little bit of that, right? When we are in Kazon space, the Kazon don't like Voyager, and so they've been spreading all of these rumors about, you know, Voyager, they, they attacked us, they... You know, they kill the caretaker. You know, they make it clear that at least in the first two years of this, a lot of shade's been thrown at Voyager and a lot of species have reasons to be suspicious of Voyager, have reasons to not believe them. And yet, I mean, I think there are going to – we have nobody who is proud of Voyager for antagonizing the Kazon, right? There are going to be species in the the Delta Quadrant that are thinking, oh, those – the Kazon are a menace and they need to be – I mean if they are based on gangs in LA, well then have somebody who thinks that Voyager is going to be a cops that's going to you know, put everybody in line. Have somebody like that. Have somebody who you know, believes that Voyager is going to be cleaning up the streets in a way. And now season three happens. The Kazon is, are totally done and yeah, we're going to go back to their dicks because they're dicks. 
Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the swarm. But before we do that, I just want to take this opportunity to quickly remind all of you that Truckabout is indeed listener supported. We have a Patreon. It is at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. You can go there, check out our tiers, our rewards. And if you would like to get, kick in a little bit of money, $1, $2, $3, hey, even $5 a month, it would be very much appreciated. And it will allow us to continue to bring the show to you. Uh, so once again, please do go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. I guess part of my thing with the swarm is I don't know where it's going to go. As it is. Nowhere. As it is, they've killed my favorite character. Because it doesn't you. go. It, no, it doesn't go anywhere, Richard. I'm serious. So in other words, this, you know, if I never saw the swarm, I would see the doctor and he would be as normal. So they basically did this episode. So either they killed off the character, which it seems like they didn't do, or they're just doing this for cheap drama and resetting it, which is stupid, too. Yes. (sighs) Fuck this episode. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, you got it in one. That's that's exactly what they did. I I, they, they wanted to like run it over a few episodes and uh i don't know what is the matter with star trek voyager uh it is this episode is i liked it i think it's very well done but i also Mm. think it's incredibly mean-spirited and sociopathic in a way that is feels surprising even at this point in the show's run and well, I, like you're right. Like this is cheap drama to get a reaction out of people for essentially killing off the best character, the most well-developed character, the most engaging yeah. character on the show. The Doctor but has they, had a whole journey, yeah. And but, but they don't do that. And I, I like in the next episode, I think he's fine again. And I, and I like I, I see. I, I guess I feel like they. At this point, I don't trust this because they already killed off Suter and Seska because they don't know what to do with them. I thought I, – I, I legitimately felt that this episode was doing it because, oh, God, this doctor has had this whole arc. I don't know how to deal with the character arc, so we're just going to – and he's got too much emotion and, you know, stuff to him, so let's just scrub all that out. I mean that's what this episode felt like it was doing. Right. No, I get it. and I And that's what I think is so frustrating about Star Trek Voyager is that – if they're not going to do that, then they need to yeah. make it clear at the end of the episode that the doctor is fine. Yeah, and I thought and I, they kind of do because he's humming the opera at the end of the episode, which makes you think, oh, well, he's not actually gone. And I think that was the point of that. But the way the con, but but in context, it seemed like. You know, maybe he only has these scraps floating around, you know, and little glimmers, but mostly he's gone. And I mean, the, the, uh, it, it seemed almost like a memento of that. I mean, I when when the I I again here's another time where I thought that it was going to be you know they were kidding. Like I thought the I thought the doctor would right. you know state the nature of your emergency. Oh, I don't remember. Wait a second. What am I thinking? My memory's coming back. Like, I thought they were going to do that, and that would have been cheap and sentimental, but it would have been fine because, you know, I wanted the Doctor and Kess to, you know, hug and realize that, you know, okay, it's going to be all right. You know, we didn't, you know, the Doctor didn't lose everything. He's still there, and, you know, as friendship and love, we managed to restore him. I mean, again, cheap and sentimental, but God, at this point, I need that in this show. I mean, this is Star Trek. I need the characters to hug at some point. Uh, I think you'll be waiting for a long time. I 
I think this is a very difficult episode to talk about because I, I totally get what you're saying. I think that looking at this episode, like there's two ways to look at this episode. You can look at it as an Alzheimer's allegory, which yeah. it obviously is. And I think it's very well done. Yeah. I think it's very affecting. I I have extreme problems with the, the subplot of the episode. But <laughs> I think well. that at least the doctor plot is very well done. I mean, Kess is just an amazing character. I I am yeah. going to be sad to to see her go, even though I like Seven of Nine quite a bit. And but but the end is problematic. You're right, and it it's strange because the show wants to have its cake and eat it too. It mm. it, it wants to tell a very particular story about the Doctor completely losing his memory and personality. While at the same time leaving it ambiguous at the end of the episode if he is fixed. But I mean, to be honest, like, okay, so this this seems like it might be a churlish question. But like, did do you really think this show has it in it to kill off the doctor Uh -uh. and still have the doctor around? I mean, I'm being serious. No, no, no. I think that was the thing that was going to happen. Like, honestly, what I, I, I don't what I thought that they were going to do is, you know, how closer to the end of next generation they bring in the emotion chip and they bring in you know data doesn't have emotions and they try to get a more hardline stance on that where in the initial episode in the initial seasons it was much more ambiguous and the sense that i very strongly got was data does have emotions he may not feel the physical effects of emotions but you know he is capable of feeling love and uh, loyalty and a desire to protect people, and these are very strong emotions that he is feeling. It's yet everybody is telling him he doesn't, so he assumes he does not have them. Um, I th- and what I Which, assumed is th- what I have a thought about that, but finish your point. Well, what I assumed that they were going to go through with that is having the doctor is from going forward. The doctor is just going to be a less vibrant person from now on, and. I also figured that maybe this is a little bit of prep. I, I thought that this might have been some early preparation for Kess leaving. In other words, Kess and the Doctor is a def- is a definitive relationship in the show, so we're going to slow that down early, so that way the Doctor doesn't have to have a strong reaction when Kess leaves and doesn't have to worry about remembering her in season four. You still have faith in this show, don't you? I guess you? I do. <laughs> like... I I get your point totally. Uh, I just I'm just surprised that you think that the show would make a fundamental change to a main character. Yeah, I don't know. I, again, I thought it would be less of a maybe less of a fundamental change and more of a uh, TV tropes would call it flanderization. Uh, the character of Ned Flanders goes from much more well rounded to uh, in later, se- you know, at, at, once you get past season ten, very just caricature. Most of the characters in the se- in the Simpsons do that. A lot of characters and a lot of shows will do that as it goes on. Just become much more one note. And yes, yeah, so writing gets lazier. Yeah, I- ideas get harder to come by. Yeah, actors absolutely. get tired. I, you know, a- yeah, a- a- yeah, actors get tired and fall into patterns. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is all true. That's um, like if I- this was. If this was happening in the third season of the show, I would be very concerned. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, I guess, also part of it, too. I felt like I, I, I got the sense this episode was trying to do that a little deliberately. And again, oh, my God, this is season three. Like, the Doctor has so much further to go. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I think that, I mean, this is a really, like, again, if you take this episode outside of context from from the ending, if you ignore the ending, yeah. and you just look at this episode as a Doctor episode, as a Doctor story, I think it's very well done. And yeah. I think it, this is the thing about the episode, is that it relies on mm. and needs and is driven by relationships that have developed organically over time on the show, i.e. Kess and the Doctor and even Janeway yeah. and the Doctor. Uh, because let's not forget that early on in the show's run, Janeway was like, well, he's a computer. Yeah, I don't yeah. care. Do what you want with him. Why are you bothering me? I, you know, you're short, whatever. Like, go away. <laughs> you're, you're a fucking hologram. Yeah, Why yeah. are you bothering me? And, you know, Cass was the one who really went to Janeway. Because I don't think this would even have occurred to the doctor. Because, of course, the doctor was the person who felt like he was not a real person mm. and that he you know Kess was the one that awoke in him in a way uh the the feeling of inferiority and that he should want more yeah. and that she went to Janeway and said demanded that that Janeway treat him better and and Janeway listened to her credit and and did start treating the doctor better and you know I think that Janeway in that scene early on in the episode, when it's Cass and the Doctor and Bellana mm. and Janeway in in sick bay, and do- the Doctor's like, "Well, if reinitializing my yeah. program and completely wiping mm. out the the last two years of my life, uh, you know, it's resetting me to factory defaults, uh, is is the only way to fix this problem, then I guess we have to do it because." I am my my first priority is to the, is to the ship and to the crew and to making sure that they have a doctor. And As he says, he's a Starfleet hologram. He will sacrifice himself for the crew. Exactly, just and, as anyone and, would. Yeah, and, but at the same time, you know, it is the case that that Janeway doesn't want this to happen. It's clear because she has come to respect the Doctor as a person yeah. and see him as a person. And Kess is the one to make that argument. Mm-hmm. And Janeway is like, you know what? You're right. Like, we need to give you the opportunity to fix this problem uh, before uh, we we decide to wipe you out. And I don't think that Janeway of, of episode three of season one would have made that choice. Yeah. And I, you know, I... I doubt that this was intended, but I also got a very subtle resonances to Tuvix when she has that line, if a crew member came with a debilitating illness, you'd do everything you could to help them. I mean, this almost seems like an apology for that. Like, we may have dropped the ball on the Tuvix thing, but now we can do a lot to help you now. I I think that's right, yeah. And and I don't know. Let's talk about Janeway, because... Fundamentally well, speaking, like, what the fuck is Janeway doing? Okay, this episode—can uh, I talk about the practicality on this episode? Because I, I, I think this dovetails into the point you're going into. Sure, go for um, it. So they're, they, they're on the borders of this hostile territory. They, they uh, par- uh, Paris and Bellana have been, you know, captured and obviously, you know, injured, obviously as a warning against going into this area. And they're dealing with this, well, this is going to add another couple years, a year and a half to our trip to go around. Uh, You know, maybe we can go through it. It'll take so much less time. Okay, so they're dealing with that. So first of all, we have Janeway completely ignore the very reasonable Star Trek directive of don't go into hostile territory uh, unless, you know, you're specifically ordered to, which is very reasonable, I would say. Um, yes. And the fact that, again, Janeway has broken Starfleet protocol. 
Cisco has broken Starfleet protocol. Picard has broken Starfleet protocol. And in any case, when th- when Picard or Kirk or whatever have broken the Prime Directive or anything, they have done so with very deep thoughts and convictions. Kirk may be much quicker at going, you know, translating thought to action than Picard can, but I think it's very clear that Kirk is weighing the possibilities in his head. He is thinking, you know, is the risk worth the reward? Janeway seems to say, no, we're going to go through this. We're going to break this. Okay. So she decides to break her protocol. Meanwhile, Belana Torres is dealing with the problem with the doctor, the chief engineer and the chief medical officer right now. They could hang out on the edge of space for as much as a month before going into this hostile territory because, as we see in the episode, Bellana, you know, Bellana is torn between dealing with the two things. The chief medical officer might be someone who's really good to be active during a uh, danger like this, and especially we see – from what we see of Bolana dealing with the problem, it only takes her a few days to deal with the deal with the diagnostic program, to deal with the resetting of this. They could hang out for a week and figure it out. They could at least let Bolana do her diagnostic before going. There is nothing pushing them into this territory at this moment. Janeway seems very impatient and impulsive to her detriment in this. Yes. Uh, uh, yes, you are correct, and I agree with you. Uh, Janeway is very impulsive. Uh, Janeway is, um, uh, uh, I don't know. I i am having a, a real problem with Janeway. Mm. I, I know a lot of people love her. I, I think that, that there's a lot of good stuff about Janeway. I think that, that Kate Mulgrew's performance yeah. is great. Uh, I just think that the writing is failing her. Mm. And, like, how does this Janeway in any way link up to the Janeway we saw in Alliances? Yeah. Is I mean, and I'm I'm asking this to to not not be funny. I'm asking this as a serious question. I mean, Does is it possible that Janeway has like an undiagnosed emotional disorder? Because like, and I think that, and I'm not being funny. I, no, I really no, no, do I, think that because like, and I yes, I get it that it's it's unfortunate that this is the first female captain of a Star Trek show that is shown to be a cr- extremely reckless and et cetera, et cetera. But like. The Janeway for the past two seasons has been like the Starfleet way. We are going to be a Starfleet yeah. crew. We are not going to have the Maquis running around. We are going to act in Starfleet principles. We are not going to uh, – because if we get home and we have mm. abandoned all of the principles that we believe in, what was the point of this entire experience? Yeah. And in alliances, she had to be convinced to go against – the 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 idea and the ideals of Starfleet that you don't embroil yourselves in local politics, right? Because Chakotay and Tuvok were both arguing in that episode that they were in a different part of space. Mm-hmm. They had no backup. Essentially, the Federation does not exist where they are. So the the rules and the regulations of Starfleet they they have to sort of be flexible with them because otherwise the ship is going to be destroyed and they're all going to be dead. And they try and do that. It doesn't work. And so what Janeway does at the end of that episode, if you remember, is give that rousing speech Mm. about how the Starfleet principles are the only way and this entire experience should show us that we need to be uh, uh, the best Starfleet crew that we can be and that's the only way that we're going to get back home and all this kind of stuff, right? Great, fine, wonderful. I'm with you. And then in this episode, for whatever reason that 
is never explained. She completely has the exact opposite reaction to this situation. She, I mean, she's like, well, fuck, it's going to take us 15 more months. Yeah. Let's just fly through. What can they do to us? <laughs> well, what are what you talking can't about? They do to, I mean, and also keep in mind, this is two episodes after she was, you know, waxing nostalgic about the frontier days of the Federation. This is, Janeway seems like somebody who is chafing against some very reasonable rules because, you know, fuck you, I'm a cowboy, which is not the <laughs> Jane, which is not the Janeway that very early on in one of the first episodes talked very proudly about the prime directive and how important she finds it. Right. And like this and this again, and, and I'm with you. And I think that what is so frustrating about this to me is that, we, you know, I talked before about how Tim Russ in this episode mm. is giving these great looks. And, you know, he does say one thing about, uh, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. Like, I don't know if this is a great idea. And you know what? It wasn't a great idea. Yeah. Um, and they only got out of it on the skin of their teeth because the episode needed to end. But without the ship being destroyed, because, of course, you know, they have four more seasons of the show to go. But, like, why wasn't there an, uh, a scene in this episode where Tuvok goes to Janeway's quarters mm. or, or her ready room and is like, hey, w- what's going on here? The show keeps telling us that Janeway respects mm. and values Tuvok as an advisor and as a friend, that his knowledge, his experience, his arguments, she listens to Tuvok. Tuvok obviously has a problem with this. Yeah. But Tuvok like raises his hand like a little kindergartner and is like, well, I don't know if this is a good idea. And Jane was like, fuck you, Tuvok. We're fucking doing this. And then Tuvok is like, oh, well, all right. I'll just look. I'll give her weird looks on the bridge because I was right because this is a fucking bad idea. Why doesn't he go to Janeway and say that? Again, you would think he would at least say, you know, it would be logical to see if maybe fixing the doctor is actually a lot easier once Bellana gets into the guts of the system. Like maybe she will be able to figure out a very easy solution. I mean, I think, I mean, this, there's, there's something that extended to props that I think is a very, is symbolic of the entire Enterprise. It's, uh, not the ship, the Enterprise, but the, 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 the Voyager. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, watch that. So there's a point where the Doctor is scrubbing his hands and he has this, you know, red light thing that he's using. Okay, great. Future tech, you know. And Why does a hologram have to scrub his hands? By we're we're going to pretend that that's not. Okay, I'm pretending that, well, the Doctor is still made of matter and the Doctor still has touched other things. And you know, it's never a bad idea to wash your hands again. But fine, fine. Doctor does that. It's great. Okay, we've heard of sonic showers, so it's probably something like that. And then he reaches to the back of the thing and touches a button to turn it off. Now, yes, at yes my, I noticed that too. At my job, where I am in a not particularly fancy kitchen, we have foot pedals on our sink because you don't want to touch another site of contamination. This is a similar thing in most hospitals. We have in the world now, and especially at the time that that was written, sensors on sinks that you put your hand under it and it goes why don't they have that in the future (laughs) why is there no motion sensor on this device and i think that explain that that is the entirety of that is where voyager fails it gets these things that oh this could be really cool oh a cool idea and doesn't think about the fucking ramifications of some of the things it has in there yeah, and, and I don't get why. That that's what's really yeah. so aggravating about it is like I completely get what you're saying with that. Is it, it is a very small example, yeah. but it is the kind of thing where it you notice it and you say, 
there is a lack of attention to detail in this show. There's a lack of care. There is a... I, 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 I hesitate to say that the show is insulting the audience, hmm. but it kind of is sometimes. Like, it seems to say, oh, well, whatever. You're just watching this to watch it while you're drunk. I, I don't know. I honestly <laughs> don't know what they're thinking. Like, and and it, it's it's like, it would be so easy for that little moment not to be the case. Like, don't show the doctor washing his hands or just have it turn off automatically or something. Again, I get the idea of why they're showing this. It reminded me of in Next Generation when they would take, you know, have a scene in the hair salon. It's it's a cool delight of science fiction to see, you know, to see the imaginations of what our normal everyday things would be in the future. And that's fine. But yeah, yeah, when it's not an improvement on the thing we have today in the world. Well, I, I, I mean, I think I think we're kind of uh, giving the the doctor story in this episode short shrift, but but at the same time, I, I don't really know what there is to say about it. Like, I, I, yes, it's it's a bad thing that the doctor is losing his memory. It's very well done. It's very affecting. Mm-hmm. I I think that if this had gone somewhere, if this if this had been a case of well, yes, the doctor has to slowly reintegrate his memories back into his personality or whatever. Yeah. Like, I I would be more interested in talking about it, but but. It's not that at all. And so what we get is a very virtuoso performance from Robert Picardo playing Mm. two different versions of the same character. You know, we get some nice moments with Cass. We get her stirringly giving a speech in his defense again. All of these things are very well done. And I think what it is is it's so frustrating to me that the show can do this kind of stuff and do it very well, but then just has a complete lack of attention to detail, falls down on Mm. so many elements that... I'm not a I'm not a screenwriter. I'm not a television writer. You are not either. Like, but but we are noticing these things. Of course, we're critics. So part yeah. of the reason we're noticing these things is because we are critics. But like, and we also have the, the benefit of twenty further years where television did get much more attention to detail of past it. Yes, but like, fair. I don't. I mean, I don't even want to like. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, but I, yeah. I think that like t- t- TNG was before yes. this show. And <laughs> TNG was not this fucking sloppy. So. Yeah, it's a what what is what is fundamentally going on here? And and I don't know that we can answer that question now, but I guess it's just it is I, I don't know. I feel like we're we're sort of like start the, the this is starting to fall apart on us and and it's happening very quickly. <laughs> I, I I guess one of my earliest notes on this episode is at the beginning when he's, you know, the doctor's with the diva and that scene goes on a little too long. My, the note that I wrote is, I don't know if they wanted to make a science fiction show. I'm not sure they do. Which, which would be fine. Yeah, because I mean, like, the the Enterprise in Picard's day always had concerts, and everyone was always rehearsing for a play and stuff, but that seemed much more like, I don't know, it seemed like they wanted us to care about this scene or find this scene a lot more amusing than it was. I mean, maybe it was just a poorly written scene, but... I, I think it was just poorly written, mm. and I think that, the, you know, the whole idea of, you know, women be bitches, like... Uh, yeah. Okay, all right. This is not really... I don't need to hear this. Like, this is not something I'm interested in. Uh... <laughs> and the other thing is the opening scene with Paris and Bellana, where Paris asks Bellana out, and fuck, man, like, I, I, again, Bellana and Harry Kim have this really great, you know, big sister, little brother thing, and you can have Tom Paris being, you know, 
the eldest brother, and, like, the three of them have this kind of little family thing going on. I thought that would have been a cute way to take them. They're all around the same age, or all around the same experience level. They kind of would pal out, ne- you know, to with each other anyway, but now you have, goddammit, Tom Paris, you know, you could have had a great thing going on, but Polana, I, when have you had any chemistry? Well, I, I don't know. I... Dude, I, I think and, and that, well, I kind of like that scene. Okay, for two reasons. Number one is because it remembers that Tom Paris hits on any alive and woman that's, that's next to him, which you know he does. Uh, he's also very respectful when she turns him yeah. down. Um, he's like, "All right, whatever." Oh God, tachyons. Um, and but also, I think that they have some chemistry together. I like. I like hmm. that scene. Like Maybe Belana and together. Tom Paris pop for me in a way in that scene that those two characters don't necessarily pop for me in a lot of other scenes. And maybe that's it going from me. I don't have I don't feel like they had much of a foundation so it did come out of nowhere for me. Again, I don't know where it's going. This may be if this is the beginnings of them having a uh having something or if that turns into that uh then maybe this feels like a bit of foundation laying then. I, I will leave that as an exercise for your for your imagination. Well, I, you've already I, got me terrified that Chakotay and Janeway are going to get together, but... <laughs> no, Neelix and Chakotay actually get married. Aww. Um, yeah, okay. I think that... I think we're probably done with this. Right? Like, not not the whole show. Oh. Like we're, we're continuing, but the, these two episodes, I feel like we've, you know... There, there, there's good stuff coming. Don't, don't get too discouraged. But I think that you're like this is going to be a rough season in a lot of ways. Also, this episode does contradict my favorite detail of the next generation. By the way, which is what Balana at the end, you know, tell just tells the doctor, "Oh, I have a headache," and he doesn't immediately go, "But headaches are cured in the future." Oh, well, I'm glad they got rid of that. That was more of that Gene Roddenberry shit about how people didn't get headaches because headaches are a sign of moral failing or something. I don't know. Mm. All right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. If you have any thoughts on either of these episodes, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at truckaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon. As we said, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. I will not give you the hard sale again. Suffice it to say, go there and give us money. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Truckabout is there. Our username is Truckabout Show. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for our Truckabout. It is the best way for new people to find the show. Next week, I just have to tell you, Richard, please prepare yourself. Oh, no. Uh, there's an episode. The next episode is called False Prophets. Okay. It features Ferengi. So just... I, I needed to tell you that so that you could mentally and physically and emotionally prepare yourself for the experience that you are about to endure. And then after that, we are talking about remember. <laughs>